There have been a multitude of predictions of the rapture during the past decades, none of which have come true. Now people say that it could happen at any moment, especially because of the current conflict between Hamas and Israel. However, they all seem to miss one very important aspect of the rapture. Listen to find out what they have missed and why we are no closer to the rapture than ever before. I love you guys. The recent events in Israel have caused many people to begin to uh, question about um, the end times or the end of time. <clears throat> they want to speculate. We always speculate when things begin to happen that seem to fit into what we call Bible prophecy. Now, most humans seem to have a propensity for trying to understand the future. Astrologers, palm readers, and other types of fortune tellers capitalize on this hunger of humanity and they're able to make a good living um, predicting the future. And that's regardless of their track record. So, you know, they don't always have a good track record. I'm wondering if maybe weathermen don't fit into this also of trying to predict the future. <clears throat> When the daily newspaper was a part of our lives, people would turn to the horoscope very quickly just to try to get a handle on uh, some sort of indication as to what their day might be like. I know of Christians today who go online every day looking for a prophetic word from somebody to sustain their life. <clears throat> I don't need to say how sad that is. Whenever someone begins to be serious about their Christianity and they want to go to the Bible, they generally want an understanding of the book of Revelation. It's the first thing out of the box. And there's no end to the number of books, videos, sermons, and things designed to fulfill that need on the book of Revelation. I have almost 200 videos on YouTube, and the most popular one by far is the Antichrist. Out of all the messages I've given, Antichrist still sits at the top. <clears throat> now, with the events in Israel, people are wanting to know how all of this fits into Bible prophecy. Now, many are convinced that this is a definite beginning of the end. Now, the focal point of the end times for many Christians is the rapture of the church. That's, that's the focal point. That's where we start. And there are many verses of the Bible which are used to support this teaching, but the foundational verse is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17, which we read a moment ago. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, as is so often the case, this verse is lifted out of its context to build a doctrine. I don't know that Paul was trying to build a doctrine when I look at the context. But this one is lifted out. And much of the intent of the passage is lost as we focus on this doctrine. So let's consider the entire passage verse by verse. Beginning in 
verse 13, we read, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. This verse shows that there was some concern among the believers about those of their friends who had died before the Lord returned. So Paul assures them of the resurrection of their loved ones. In verse 14 we read, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is another verse that people take and build a doctrine on. They try to build a doctrine called soul sleep. I don't know if you've ever heard it or not. I've heard it a bunch. And they do that because of the word asleep. It's an English word, not a Greek word. Okay? But that's not, it's not accurate. Soul sleep is not accurate. For instance, we formerly used the word died when someone quit breathing in this plane, right? What do we say now? We use the word past. They have passed. So someone in the future is going to come along and develop a teaching about passing based on this usage. We strive so hard to be different, to come up with a truth that no one yet knows, but we usually end up with something ridiculous and not completely supported by Scripture. Paul continues with his exhortation of assurance for those who are worried. In verse 15, he says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now he's basically saying that we will all be in this meeting the Lord thing together. We will not go to be with the Lord before those who have died. Now, he then tries to lay out the order of events for them to understand. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Notice that the purpose of this entire section of five verses is to find encouragement when thinking about what happens to those who have died. That's the purpose of the passage. And we seem to miss that part while we focus on the doctrine of the rapture hidden within these words. As I said a moment ago, the rapture is the focal point for all end-time teachings of the modern era. Now, there is no record of the early church ever teaching the rapture. Can't find it anywhere. The earliest church fathers expressed their belief in various eschatological views. Eschatological is short for eschata, which means last things. They taught about the immortality of souls, the return of Christ, the resurrection of God's people, and a general judgment. 
but they did not develop a systematic teaching concerning last things. And most certainly, there is no record of a belief in a rapture or a secret coming of the Lord for almost two millennia. The rapture first came into awareness through the teachings of Edward Irving and J.N. Darby in the early 1800s. Now, Darby was the foremost teacher of the Plymouth Brethren at that time. And C.I. Schofield was enamored with Darby's teachings, especially the idea of a two-stage return of Christ, one hidden, one public. Now, Schofield introduced these concepts in his reference Bible. How many of you ever heard of the Schofield reference Bible? Okay, yeah, we've heard of it. The Schofield Reference Bible was the best-selling Bible for a few decades from the 19th century into the middle of the 20th century before the newer translations began to appear. Therefore, Schofield's influence on Christian thought should not be minimized. With all of his influence, however, there is still no settled thought about the events of the end times. We have different schools of thought concerning the timing and sequences of the millennium, the great tribulation, the rapture, the return of the Lord, all that stuff. We have pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-tribulation schools. When will these things happen in relation to the millennium? We have pre-mill, post-mill, and amill. Amillennialists do not believe in a literal millennium or thousand-year reign of the Lord. Personally, I'm a pan-millennialist. I believe everything's going to pan out all right. That's where I stand. There's no way now that I can go into all these different ideas and unpack their various takes on the end times, not in one session or six. However, since the rapture is the focal point of it all, I will simply talk about that for our remaining time together this morning. Verse 17 of 1 Thessalonians is where the concept comes from, as I said. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now this is the single verse upon which all the rest of the teaching about the rapture is built. Those teachings have produced novels and movies and cartoons of mass destruction as the saints of God are removed from the earth in an instant of time. You've all seen them. There's the Left Behind series of books and movies. Um, there's the tracks that are presented. There's all kinds of stuff. But there's nothing in this section, and we've looked at all five verses, there's nothing in this section about anything else with which we have become familiar. None of that is here. This section does not tell us about the timing, other than that it will happen at the coming of the Lord. That's the only timing that we have. And what did Jesus say about that? Ain't nobody got it figured out. 
All the rest of it, tribulation, fear, left behind, planes crashing, beds being empty, are the results of the false concept of the rapture being applied to other verses of the Bible. Now I say false concept because this verse by itself teaches something quite differently from what we have been told. Even if you just take this verse by itself looking for a doctrine. The words caught up translate the Greek word harpazo, which is used only 13 times in the New Testament. And none of the other times is it used in any idea of connection with the Lord. It has the idea of force being used and is translated by that word caught up or taken away or pulled and it's in other ways it's translated. So when someone refers to the rapture as the great snatch, this is what they mean. It's a forcible removal. Now, there is certainly a catching up the saints to meet the Lord in the air. I'm not denying that. But this is where the teaching goes off the rails. It's in the word meet. Meet the Lord in the air. We will rise to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. An assumption is made here that is not supported by the text. The assumption is that we return to heaven with the Lord. That's the assumption. It is this thought that had to give rise to the two-stage return of the Lord that Darby and Schofield promoted because all of Scripture has always proclaimed and it's always been known that the Lord returns to the earth to establish his kingdom. We all know that. We stand on that. Therefore, we had to supply this secret coming to make this verse teach the rapture. But that is not what the word meet means or indicates. Here's a quote. It is used in the papyri. Papyri is plural for papyrus, which was a form of paper that was used. Okay, It is used in the papyri of a newly arriving magistrate. It seems that the special idea of the word was the official welcome of a newly arrived dignitary. Now, this quote is taken from Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, which is the standard reference book for people who don't read Greek. If you were wanting to study a little bit deeper into the Bible, you would have this book in your reference section. Because that's, that's, it's designed for those who don't read Greek. And Vines quotes Moulton's Greek grammar, which is a standard textbook for teaching the grammar of the New Testament. The magistrate, the king, is arriving at the gates of the city and the people go to meet him. Okay, that's the picture, that's the scenario. Where do they go from there? When I come to your house, when I come to your house and knock on your door, where do we go? Do we go back to my house or do we go inside yours? Hmm. We go inside yours. That's the meaning and application of the word meet that's used here in this passage. We go out to meet him as he comes, not go to meet him to take off. There is no disappearing from earth, leaving hapless folks to defend for themselves. 
I'm almost out of time. But let's look at just one. Of, I mean, we do want to get there before the close, right? I'm almost out of time, but let's, let's look at just one of those passages that have given rise to the teaching about chaos occurring surrounding the rapture. And that's in Matthew chapter 24, verses 40 to 41. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. And this is where we get the scenario of people taken off. The rapture is taught first, and then this verse is given as supporting a particular scenario. If the bus driver is a Christian, the bus will crash as he is snatched from the driver's seat. If the pilot of the airplane is a Christian, the plane will crash because he has been removed from the plane. However, these ideas are exactly the opposite of what Jesus said in this very passage. Let's take a look. In Matthew 24 and verse 37, he says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Life was happening. Life was going on. Nothing was changed. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Who was it that was unaware? All the people outside of Noah's family. Who got swept away? All the people outside Noah's family. i got to close. Does it matter whether you believe there will be a rapture or not? No. doesn't matter. Thankfully, our salvation does not hinge on our doctrinal beliefs. For instance, baptism. Some people believe in sprinkling. Some people believe in dunking. Uh, I always say it doesn't matter whether you're sprinkled, dunked, or plunked. Okay? It just doesn't matter. I was once told that since I did not believe in the rapture, I wouldn't get to go. That's a high level of misinformation and misunderstanding of the ways of God and our salvation. I appreciate, though, what I was once told about this whole thing. Look at the very last verse on the section on the rapture. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Remember, the purpose of the passage was encouragement for those who wasn't sure what happened to their loved ones who had already died. Paul was writing to encourage them, to assure them that that doesn't mean they've missed out on anything. And this brother told me, he says, whether someone believes in the rapture or not, this section is to be used to encourage them. That's what these five verses are about. Paul is dealing with some unanswered questions. He wasn't trying to build a doctrine about the end times. We find more of that in 1 Corinthians 15 where he deals with the resurrection. So therefore, be encouraged by the fact 
that the Lord has not left us to our own devices in this situation. It's not up to us. It's not up to me. He has determined that at some point we shall all be with him and our understanding of the timing of how that happens in no way alters the fact. You know, when you're standing, if you ever had to ride a city bus, if you're standing at the bus stop or when you rode a school bus, waiting for the bus, it's scheduled to be there at 6.30 in your thinking, but if it doesn't show up till 6.35, you're still waiting for it. Now, if you're one of those who runs at the last minute and it came at 6.25, you missed the bus. Our beliefs have no effect on that. Why? Because Jesus is still Lord. And he always will be. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen.